Before we uh, jump into our time in the Word this morning, would you pray with me? Our Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this, this time where you've gathered your people together to celebrate Jesus, our King, to celebrate that he has come, that he is with us, and that you're surely coming again. Father, I pray that this morning as we celebrate, as we find uh, hope and uh, love and joy and peace in Jesus Christ alone, I pray that you'd stir our hearts to, to, to see you more clearly, to know Jesus more clearly, to, to see him for who he really is, to, to know your great love for us, and to stir us to glorify you in, in everything that we do and in all of life and, in, and together. Lord, that you would make this a church it's a body of Christ that's making the real Jesus known, representing him rightly, mirroring uh, who you are to the world around us. Father, I pray that uh, just during this time you speak. It's your word. Speak as we sing, speak as we serve one another, speak as uh, we, we hear the preaching of your word, as we give. In everything that we do this morning, just make yourself known, say what you want to say to each one of us, and have each one of us hear what you would have us hear. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to be reflecting his likeness uh, to the world around us, right? But sadly, the church often misrepresents Jesus. The church has often misrepresented Jesus. Not just this church, the church, the whole church. The church has often misrepresented Jesus. And there's some pretty bad looks in our history from the Crusades to church leaders even in our own country owning slaves and dispending slavery and then going on to condone and even promote racism even into today. And then there's the many stories of Pastors who are guilty of sexual abuse and promiscuity. There's fraudulent activity. There's other criminal activity in the organized church, even in our country. And we hear those stories all the time. And then there's like our denominations, our hundreds of denominations, all the divisions that divide us up. And sometimes it seems like there's like this endless fighting between us, right? Endless division amongst ourselves, and not just between the different denominations, but then within each denomination itself, and then even from there, within many of the churches themselves. And then, of course, there's our personal sins, our personal failures that kind of like twist together with the rest, and as we just confessed, they cause more and more corruption together. Yet we're called to be united in Christ and to be his body, and to make Jesus known in all the earth. But I wonder, what does an unbelieving world see in us when it looks in? Is it really Jesus? Or is it often a misrepresentation of who Jesus really is? I think we have a problem rightly representing Jesus in the world because we're very like, forgetful people, right? We're all very forgetful people, and we easily lose sight of Jesus as our King and as our Savior, and, and then we fall into this temptation to kind of like 
seek His glory, and even wield His power for ourselves. All while sort of remaining under the, the delusion that we're doing what He wants us to do. And we can get so caught up in our own misled endeavors, and this is all of us, we can get so caught up in our own misled endeavors that it's like we start trying to do the work of saving Jesus when it was Jesus who saves us. Maybe you remember a few years ago, it wasn't that long ago, when Starbucks switched over to its red cups. Does anybody remember that? Plain red cup? And parts of the American church world just lost its mind. Right? Like Christians were hating on Starbucks so bad, like, you know, making videos about them and spreading all kinds of bad things about them, boycotting them, just trying to ruin them. Because they had taken Christ out of Christmas and not properly uh, recognized Christmas and Christ on their plain red cup. I'm not saying that Christians can't stand up for anything. But I think it's odd how loud, how often we get so loud and how often we get loud and unchristlike when we see the unbelieving world not properly misrepresenting Jesus. We get unchristlike when we see them not representing him right. And I've been the same way. Like I've misrepresented Jesus time and again. I've tried to save him. I've tried to take his glory for myself and I've tried to wield his power. But it's futile. And it fails to make Jesus truly known in the world every time. Now over the season of Advent, uh, we've been kind of going through the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And this is the last Sunday before Christmas, and so today we'll finish there. And we're going to finish in verses 19 through 34, if you want to turn there. John 1, 19 through 34. And I'm just going to read this for us as we jump in. And this is the testimony of John. It's John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you, among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So after a more poetic introduction to the book that we've gone over over the last three weeks, uh, this testimony of John the Baptist sort of kicks off the Apostle John's gospel narrative of the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, which kind of takes up the rest of the book. And what John the Baptist testifies to here, I think, is pivotal for us if we are to make the real Jesus known as his people. And his, his testimony contains at least two parts. There's a lot there that we can't get into. There's just way too much to say. But his testimony contains at least two things. And it's the two things I want us to see this morning. And it's a confession and a proclamation. A confession and a proclamation. The confession is this. I am not the Christ. And the proclamation is Christ has come and he is with us. So the confession is pretty straightforward. And, and John the Baptist is quick to it in his testimony. We see some priests and Levites, some temple folks, they come out to um, question him about who he's claiming to be. Because John the Baptist has been making a lot of noise, right? People are going out of the city, out to the wilderness to go see him, to go hear him, and they are being baptized, which is normally something done when a Gentile converts to Judaism, Right? But it makes very little sense for a Jewish person to be baptized unless, unless this person who's baptizing was claiming to be the long-expected God-sent prophet like Moses, like coming to deliver God's people and establish some sort of new earthly empire. In their heads, then maybe it makes sense to, for him to be baptizing people into this new kingdom that he's establishing. So they come out to question him, but John is quick to the punch, he's quick to the confession, and in chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, we see it, it says, they asked him, who are you? And he confessed, it says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ, I'm not the prophet, I'm not Elijah, I'm not your deliverer, I'm not your king, however, John the Baptist does tell us that he does have a job and it is to prepare the way of the Lord. And then in John 1, 26-27, John pretty quickly begins to turn from confession, that confession of I am not the Christ, to the proclamation which is but Christ has come and he's with us. Look what he says to the crowd. He says, among you stands one you do not know. Among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He's saying he's here. Like, I'm not him, but he is here. He is with us. He's among you. And then the next day, John the Baptist goes full proclamation mode, right? And he starts pointing to Jesus as he's walking up. Verse 29 saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Exclamation point on the end of that. Now I realize that language of behold the Lamb of God, it's, it's, it's kind of normalized for us. We know it. It's one of those Christmas things, right, that we say. It's from Scripture. We put it on things. My, one of my favorite Christmas albums is called Behold the Lamb of God by Andrew Peterson. Behold the Lamb of God is on Christmas cards. It's on other holiday items. So perhaps we're, we know it. We're familiar with it. And maybe it's not very startling to us. But I think 
it should be startling for us. I mean, why does John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God? Why announce him that way? Behold the Lamb of God. Let's go back to the Old Testament. and We're not going to turn there, but remember that it was a lamb whose blood was painted around the doors of the Hebrew people in Egypt when they were in captivity. It was uh, the blood of a lamb that delivered their firstborn sons from the plague of death in Egypt. And when God delivered his people from Egypt, it was from and with the killing of a lamb. And then think of the sacrificial system that God gave his delivered people so that he could dwell with them, so that they could be clean and holy, and he could dwell with them. And remember then all the minor prophets we've been going over over the last year, right? And how we've heard time and again that God tired of their many sacrifices because they didn't reflect the state of the people's heart, right? And the killing of the lambs wasn't enough. The killing of the lambs wasn't enough. All this was always pointing to the one who would come to take away the sin. Maybe think of Isaiah's prophecy in in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is a passage and a prophecy that is pointing to and speaking of the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Savior, the lamb, oppressed, afflicted, and led to slaughter. And so this is familiar but startling. For these Jewish people that the, the John the Baptist is talking to, lamb sacrifices were always a memorial of deliverance, of forgiveness of sin, and messianic salvation. So to be announced as the lamb of God was for John to basically have said, in essence, behold, The sacrifice of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the sacrifice of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Messiah and he came to die. And that's an incredibly startling way to begin a ministry. He came to die. Now, why should we be talking about that on the week of Christmas and not just on Good Friday? Like, shouldn't we be focused on baby Jesus and not on the blood of Jesus? But here in 1 John, the apostle begins talking about the ministry of Jesus with this announcement made by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist here is making this announcement three years or so before the cross, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And when we read our greeting cards and our wrapping paper and all the things with all the scriptures and stamps on it that say, Peace on earth goodwill toward men, and joy to the world, world, and all the other sentiments that are from Scripture even, all those things are true because He came to take away the sins of the world, because He came to be a sacrifice. He came to be a sacrifice. However, death isn't the final word for Jesus. We know more fully what it means actually for him to be called the Lamb of God. Because the same John who wrote this book, um, I'm sorry, because the same John who wrote this book also wrote Revelation, right? We know more fully what it means to be the Lamb of God because in Revelation, 
we see even more startling news. The man, Jesus, who looked regular, who was walking there among them, where the people stood, who was with them, was the lamb who came to be a sacrifice, but also the lamb in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, where his people are singing to the lamb in the heavenly future. And it sounds like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And in this glimpse of our eternal future, we see that the Lamb is alive. He is well, and He is at work building His kingdom from all nations and all tribes and all people and all languages, and it will reign forever on earth. So it's kind of jolting to me when I think about that reality of the Lamb to think that there were some there, like questioning John the Baptist, representing the Jewish temple, those with religious power who actually physically beheld the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And yet, we know from the rest of the story, they continue to look elsewhere in order to build a kingdom in God's name. While God himself was born, he had come, he was with them, and he was among them. It's jolting, and I wonder how many of us would be in the same boat. Like standing there with the eternal king and savior of our own life and of the world, still looking elsewhere to build our kingdom in his name. How many of us here would miss him? Over the last week, our country's political atmosphere has been running pretty hot with the impeachment of our president by the House, and it's even spilled over into the church world as well. And Christianity Today posted an editorial entitled, Trump Should Be Removed from Office. And when they posted that, social media absolutely erupted. I mean, it just went crazy. People went crazy. I saw all kinds of like hate being spewed from one Christian towards another. And it's been made crystal clear by the reaction to the article, I think, that many believe that the advancement of the church and the advancement of the kingdom of God rests solely on whether this man is our president or not. And it's all heartbreaking, honestly. I mean, my heart was really broken this week, reading all that stuff. And what's most heartbreaking is that it, it's all happening just before Christmas. Right? Just before we celebrate our coming Lord and King, Emmanuel, God with us. It's almost like John the Baptist could be standing in front of us, pointing us to Wednesday morning, Christmas morning, proclaiming, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, look, it's Christ, the King, the light of the world, who's building His church and who's ushering us into His kingdom. He could be telling it to our face and pointing us directly at Christmas to see the King. And it seems like the church would remain oblivious. One Christmas, 
there was like this divisive political discussion around our family table on Christmas morning, and I, and I try not to speak up a lot, honestly, but I spoke up and I said something about Jesus being the king, and he came to unite us and not to divide us. And I swear the response was basically a pat on the head, right? As to say, hey, good job. Good job, pastor. That's what you're supposed to do. But uh, let the big boys handle the power conversations, okay? And then they went back to their, their talk. And to me, it feels like that's what we often do with Jesus. Like we give him the nod as king of kings. Like that's a nice title. You can have that. That's fine. But then we kindly put him back in his place while we decide how to build his kingdom for him. Listen, whatever's happening now in this country politically is so tiny. It's so tiny. The power of this nation in this little time, in this little place is so tiny and minuscule in the grand scheme of things. But the eternal king of heaven and earth is with us. And he is among us. He has come. He is with us. And he is coming again. Why would we look anywhere else? Why would we look to anything else or anyone else? Who else can we look to? Who else can we follow? Who else is going to deliver us? Who else is truly with us? Who else is the Christ, the Messiah, the beginning and the end? the light of the world, who else reigns from eternity and into eternity future? Who else can take away the sin of the world? Do we know that person apart from Jesus Christ? Church, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our true King who came, who died and rose again and is alive and well and will restore all things and reign on earth forever. Behold the Lamb of God. This Christmas, I just want us to share in the testimony of John the Baptist and represent the real Jesus in our confession and in our proclamation. I want you to pray this and I want you to say this over and over again. I'm not God, but God is with me. I am not God, but God is with me. I am not God, but God is with us. I'm not the king, but the king has come. The king is with us, and the king is coming again. Let Christmas this year be an invitation to this confession and proclamation. Let it be an invitation to worship Jesus for who he really is. And let the good news of Jesus Christ, our king, the light of the world, the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God, lead you and I to prepare Him room in our hearts and in our lives by refusing to receive His glory for ourselves or give it to others. May the truth of His first advent, His dwelling with us and His coming again become something that our lips can't stop uttering, something that's on repeat in our head, and with this confession and proclamation of who Jesus really is, may your hearts experience peace and love and hope 
and joy beyond understanding. And may it give us a courage to look to Jesus before and above all else and all others. May you give him all the honor and all your trust and all the glory so that the world around us is actually able to see Jesus for who he really is. Like may our entire life point them to behold the Lamb of God, the true King who is with us, who is restoring, and who is making all things new. You can put your hopes elsewhere. You can try to keep the glory of God for yourself, or you can try to give it to somebody else. But nobody else is worthy. Nobody else is worthy, and it will all fail, ultimately, because neither you or anybody else can be who Jesus really is. You are not God, and you are not a Savior. You didn't create the world, and you can't take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the King, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The Advent season bids us to wait, right? The Advent season bids us to wait. It's like a watchman in the night who's waiting for morning, who's waiting for that first glimmer of light, who knows assuredly that morning will come. And Advent bids us to remember and to believe and to squarely place all our hope in God like the watchman. Because the reality is that there's a great deal of evil and brokenness and darkness in this world that aggressively wants to lure us in to the darkness of night and lure us into fear and into despair and into isolation and into sleep and into death. And it wants us to spread lies about who God is and who you are like a disease in this earth. But in Advent, we faithfully wait for the light. We remember who God is and we place all our hope in Him. We remember how he created everything from the beginning for a purpose, how he created us to bear his image and to glorify him. We remember to fall that left us in the dark, but we also remember his promise to send one who would crush the head of the serpent. And we remember how he sacrificed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve in their shame. We remember how he called Abraham and promised to give him a people through whom he would bless the whole earth. And how he provided a ram for sacrifice in the place of Isaac, his only son. We remember how the Hebrew people found themselves in captivity in, by the Egyptians. But also we remember that God delivered his people from the Egyptians with the blood of a lamb. And we remember how time and again his people failed and found themselves in the dark. But that God promised through the prophets, salvation through his suffering servant, the Lamb of God. So in Advent, we wait in the dark, firmly trusting God, who is the light, because he has always come through. He has always come through, and he is coming as sure as the morning. And then there's Christmas. It's the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the ultimate light in the darkness. And for the faithful watchman, Christmas is like the crack of dawn. Like John wrote, and we read it a couple weeks ago, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
And with the birth of Jesus, the morning has come and a new day has begun and a weary world rejoices. And in the person and work of Jesus, we behold the promised lamb, the final and ultimate sacrifice of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we know that the one and the true king has come, that he is with us, and that he is surely coming again to reign forever and ever. I'm going to light this candle. This is the the Christ candle. I'm going to light it, and I'm going to give us a moment of quiet. I just want you to take the opportunity to maybe to prayerfully confess and proclaim, I am not the Christ, but Christ is with me. I am not God, but God is with me. Let's just take a moment and pray that. As we close this Christmas, may the truth that you are, that you and I are not Christ, but the Christ is with us. May that transform your heart. May it transform your heart in such a way that everything else begins to melt away, and you find peace and hope and joy and love in Jesus Christ alone. And may we have the courage to make the real Jesus known above all else, in an unbelieving world. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week. The band will come and lead us through this time. We're going to do a few things. We're going to take communion. You can come down one of these two side aisles. and You can take the bread and you dip it in the wine or the juice, the bread representing the body of Christ that was broken for you, the wine and the juice representing the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And when we do this, we are Remembering and proclaiming, we are confessing and proclaiming. I'm not Christ, but He is. I'm not the Savior, but He is. He really is who He said He is. And I am witness that He is the Son of God. We say that along with the testimony of John the Baptist. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and to remember Christ and proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior in this act together. Also, it's a time where we can give our tithes and offerings, and there's a a basket back there in the back where you can give and worship in that way. And lastly, the band will lead us through some more songs, through songs of celebration of Christ our King who's come. And you can stand and sing and rejoice and praise God together. It's also a time where if you need to pray and reflect, you can do that. I'm going to pray for us. Our Father, I'm so thankful again for Jesus for this great gift that you've given us. Thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who else would we go to, God? Who else should we turn to? God, I pray that you would just grab our heart's attention, stir our heart's affections for you, Help us to see who you really are. Help us to know that who's standing here among us, who's living here among us, that is Jesus Christ the King, and that you're worthy, and that everything's in good hands, that you're making all things new, and we can totally trust you. 
And we can give you all the glory and all the praise. God, help us to remember, I'm not God. But God is with us. And nobody else around me is God. And nobody else I know is God. But God is with us. And the King is coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.